Welcome to the Apex Anthologies podcast. I'm your host, Philip Osterday. We know that life and being on mission can be overwhelming. So our prayer is that the Apex Anthologies podcast gives you a moment to breathe, sit at dad's feet, learn a little bit more about Jesus, and let his spirit comfort you. This is the last episode of our Christmas miniseries. We'll be talking about what it means for us to bear God's image. Joining me, Chad, and Jason is our staff team lead and Region 4 elder, Chris Cardiff. Let's jump right in and ask the question, what does it mean that humans are made in the image of God? So that's a light question. Um, We were just reflecting before we hit the record button um, about how there are at least 10 at the very minimum, major <laughs> interpretations for what it means to be image bearers. Um, so what we're going to try to do this morning as we talk through this is, as best as we can, kind of capture historically uh, and what we know from antiquity. And when I say antiquity, we, what we mean by that is kind of how the world at the time in which these scriptures were written, um, that, that, that entire world and what it would have meant to them. And as we discuss through that, you know, we can help, that helps us interpret it and then we can move forward to us. So a major passage that we want to start off with is within the account of creation, which for us, that's kind of like a go-to. We always go back <laughs> to the Genesis account. Um, but in Genesis 1, 26 uh, through 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make humanity or man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all things, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humanity, or man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in that passage, just working from the context of that passage first, before we kind of bridge into the cultural background there, we see that there's at least three things that are attached to what it means to be human an image bearer. One, that is after the likeness of God. Mm -hmm. So whatever it means to be an image bearer, there is something intrinsic, essential to what it means to be human that is like God, Mm. which is very profound. Mm -hmm. The other part has to do with the fact that image bearers are to have dominion or stewardship. So whatever it means to be an image bearer includes that we are like God, But it also means that we go and we steward God's creation, that we take care for, take care of God's creation. And then the third thing that we see from the text is that humanity is created as his image, as male and as female. Mm -hmm. So whatever it means to be image, it means that it is unity and diversity. It means that there is a maleness and a femaleness of this imageness that when they come together, fully express who God is. Hmm. So there is something about being image bearers that's essential, that is, uh, um, that is functional. So essential being that's just part of who we are. Um, functional, meaning that's what we do. And then relational, how we operate in relationship with one another in the world. Mm-hmm. So those are the three major things just from the text that we can glean about what it means to be image bearers. But when we begin to understand the world in which the biblical authors and most likely Moses as he's reflecting about um, 
the people of Israel as they're coming out of the land of Egypt and going into the land that's God showing them. There's a whole other world that begins to open up, a world that archaeology is beginning to show us a lot more. Um, and without hopefully getting too boring, it's actually pretty <laughs> exciting stuff. Chad, do you want to kind of chime in a little bit there about what's going on kind of historically and culturally here? I'll just say it's really exciting. <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, yeah, no. Um, the, the word um, used in Genesis um, for image is the word selim in, in Hebrew, which is used elsewhere in the Bible to describe a statue or an image. And so uh, in the ancient world, um, they, you know, the non-Jewish people, non-Hebrews would, would make statues. Uh, of course, the Hebrews eventually did make statues <laughs> themselves, but we'll find out that that was not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they made statues to represent their gods. And so whenever they would bow to these statues, they were doing so in reference uh, to some deity that, that the statue uh, represented. So uh, there's a sense that the way I like to say it is that humanity is little walking, breathing statues of God yeah. that re- uh, reflect what he is like. Yeah, and these statues, sometimes another way to describe it is kings. If I were a king of a land, um, I would make a statue that represented me. So a really good example of this is if you can go back to your high school history class in which you were learning about like, you know, super like Mesopotamia, you know, arc of civilization type stuff. A guy named Hammurabi. You guys mm-hmm. remember what Hammurabi's famous for, right? The code. Yeah, the code. And, the, you know, a famous one that's on there is like eye for the eye, tooth for the tooth type stuff. And so in the Code of Hammurabi, there was literally like a, a huge stone. Um, and on it was kind of a picture of Hammurabi. And underneath him, underneath that picture was all of Hammurabi's law. So that stone that was an image of him. And they would put those stones in all of the cities that he oversaw that were underneath his dominion. And the idea was like, okay, even though Hammurabi is in a different is in a different land, because this image of him is there in that land, then the idea is that, okay, Hammurabi also rules here. So the idea with these stones, these images, was there to represent the king when he wasn't there. So what God's doing in this picture, it's actually really cool. He's getting down into the dirt. He's getting down into the clay, and he's forming an image. He's forming a statue. And the statue he calls humanity. But he does more than that. What does God do? He breathes his own life into the statue. And so this statue becomes alive. So it's better than just a piece of rock or a piece of clay. It's a living, breathing statue that can get up, that can walk around, that can have babies, that can make more statues. And if those statues represent the glory of the king, the reign and rule of that king, then when God says, go, be fruitful and multiply to the man and the woman, to the statues, he's basically saying, go, fill the earth with my glory. That's always what he's been after, is filling the earth with his glory. Jason spoke in definitive terms, but what does that mean for the images that Mm. God created? Mm. Um. God is, is the, the Trinity is what? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's an authoritative being. There's a loving being. There's a controlling being. Controlling may not be the best word there, but... A sovereign. 
sovereign. Really, yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, so when, if you look at creation, I think you have to pull out the dichotomy between everything else that was created and us in order to really uh, look at um, us as image bearers. No, no other created being is labeled as image bearers, mm-hmm. right? So what is it about us that represents the image bearing of the Trinity? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is something that I wrestle with and a lot of people wrestle with that are smarter than me. But, you know, it's, it's, it's mind, it's soul, it's spirit, it's it's all of what we are. And I think what God created was in us. Because, again, we've all heard this. After each day, he said, God saw that what he, done, what he had done was good. But after he created man, he said, it is very good. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, uh, whether we recognize it or not, uh, have been created in the image of God, and um, we have all of of what He has put into us. Um, as we uh, as as we represent Christ, um, probably jumping around a little bit here, but uh, we we still need a Savior because the fall has happened. We haven't talked about that yet. Uh, but the fall has happened, and so that image was shattered and cracked and just, you know, done away with. But uh, as we rely on, on Christ and the inheritance of the Holy Spirit, we still have those inner makings of image bearers. And uh, that's where uh, we can rely on the Spirit working within us uh, to bring about, Jason was just talking, bring about, you know, uh, reproduction, replication, whatever word we want to put in there, um, of advancing God's kingdom through what the Trinity looks like, uh, even in the face of, of the warfare that we, that we, that we face, so... I'm reminded at that functional level of how with one, we have this thing, chapter one in Genesis, we have this thing called the cultural mandate where God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion and all that. And so, so far in in Genesis, we see this pattern of God's creative work of forming and filling. He'll, He'll form a space, then he'll fill it. You know, he'll form the sky, fill it with birds, form the sea, fill it with things that swim and, and so forth. But here what he does with humanity is he invites them to do the same thing, you know, form, you know, and, and fill, you know, fill the earth. So there's a sense that, you know, we also reflect that image of God by being creative beings ourselves. Not that not that we create things uh, ex nihilo out of nothing, <laughs> uh, but we help... Um, we partner with God in terms of like giving shape to the land. And so I think that's part of, you know, everything we do in, in our work, in our vocations is, um, is kind of helping give shape to the world that God has given us. So like 
discovering and using the resources in the earth and using them and wisely steward them, stewarding them is, is part of just kind of reflecting who God is to creation. But, but, but as Chris said, um, because of what the fall has done to us, that, that image in us is still there, but it's now distorted. So it's bent. And so now um, we don't rule as we are meant to, but we rule uh, not for God's sake, but for kind of our own sake, you know. I really, really appreciate what Chris said too about um, the fact that there's something like unique to us as humans, mm-hmm. right? We alone are the image bearers. There's something we even look out at the rest of the world and whether you are of, of faith or not of faith, everyone wrestles with the fact that we're different. Like I, mm-hmm. I love, you guys ever watch Planet Earth? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have a new one, it's Planet Earth too. And what they do is they actually look at all these animals through the lens of various expressions of human civilization. So like they have mm-hmm. one in the city and one at sea and all that sort of thing. But it's so interesting as you watch that, there's still this connectivity that humanity has with all these other creatures of the world. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, but there's also a distinction, right? Like they're all living off of each other. You know, and they show the trash being picked up, but then also at the same time, like, you know, the possums going and picking up the trash, <laughs> right? So they're feeding off of our excess and our waste, but at the same time, we're like, thanks, possum, you picked up my trash. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're living off of each other, but there's a stewardship aspect as well because one of the things they, they showed in the, in, in, in the city, I remember, is this bird that for whatever reason only thrives in cities and it's learned how to thrive in cities. Mm. Um, so it's learned how to kind of co-live with us in that space, but also how it was still threatened by some changes to the New York City landscape that was taking place because of the decisions of humanity. And I think that, that kind of ties into this aspect as yeah. well as of, yes, there's something that sets us apart, but sets us apart for what purposes, you know, and you see that within the scripture, it says for the purposes of caring for, of having dominion and stewardship over the creation. Mm-hmm. I think, too, one of the things that you said earlier about the Spirit that I think is so important is, you know, how the Spirit comes and now dwells in us, those who are in Christ. And that whole concept of the Spirit coming and dwelling in humanity is nothing new. Mm -hmm. It's there from the very beginning. When God takes and he takes this clay from the ground and he forms this image, it says, and he breathes his breath of life into them. And so we were always meant to be ones with the breath of life in us, God's breath of life in us. That's always the intention from the very beginning is that, that we, there is something about who God is that dwells in each and every one of us and dwells amongst us all, which is his breath, the same spirit, the same breath that's hovering over the deep, over, over, over the chaos of the earth in Genesis 1 and Genesis 1 and 1 and 1, 2. That same breath now comes into us and he takes chaos of all these of all these different particles of dust and he brings it together and forms us into humanity. And so like I know one of the ethical questions, one of the questions that we should be asking about that, like what does that mean if the God of the universe desires to dwell in us? What how, like how ought we view ourselves and how ought we view mm-hmm. one another? Mm-hmm. Um, Thinking back to this ancient context that we read this phrase from and what they would do with, what what you do with an image is you put it in a temple. 
<laughs> you know, and so like that that God would that was a way for them to symbolize that God living in that temple. So like like the temple of Artemis or yeah. a, 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 the Athena or the Acropolis. Exactly. To use Greco-Roman stuff that we're probably familiar with from like eleventh grade English. Yeah. Yeah, and they always, but they thought of the temples as a place where heaven intersected with earth, you know, because that's where the gods lived. Right. You know, and essentially that's what the, the Garden of Eden is uh, a temple. It's, it's heaven and earth together. And so for God to say, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, it some have pointed to this as like this idea of this temple expansion project to where all of earth is meant to be God, this God's, God's temple. Um. And so now that we have the fall, um, we <laughs> clearly something's something's not going to go right there. You know, we have p- all these distorted images running around. Um, but I think of it as in God sending Jesus and kind of like you know you talked about God breathing the breath of life in, in creation. Uh, in John chapter 20, you have this account where Jesus, after the resurrection, breathes over his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's like this new, it's almost like this um, picture of being recreated. Here. Yeah, like, new creation. I'm, I'm put, place. Yeah, I'm new creation. I'm putting new breath into you so that you can once again be those image bearers I intended you to be. Uh, but he also commissions them to go and make disciples so that uh, as the gospel is believed, um, people uh, will once ag- these new believers will be indwelled with the spirit as well and thus so that that temple expansion project can get back on track so learning to view each other in that with your question learning to view each other as both image bearers but also potential renewed image bearers yeah. um, we think of like think of it for it's just a bigger goal than just doing my part so I can myself go to heaven, but doing your part in joining God in his work to renew heaven and earth. Yeah, what you're saying is like from the beginning, whatever it means to be humanity, you see it there, there's a unity behind it. There's something that we all share, but then male and female, Mm -hmm. right? And you can break that down into all the males and all the females, right? There's something personally that we live out there. I don't like using the word individually, because individually kind of has this idea of like, it's just me set art, set out against the world, you know, Lone, mm-hmm. Lone Ranger. So I like the language of personal better than individual because each of us are personally living that out as we're also living it out together as community. And so you see that from the very beginning and it's both the communal and the personal that, you know, are disrupted in the fall. Going again back to mm-hmm. the breath of life, if it's the breath of life that's come in and given them life, God's breathed his own life into the image. And then this image, the humanity, comes and is, you know, made into male and female. So Genesis chapter 2, if you're following along in your Bibles, mm-hmm. Genesis chapter 2 says, the one humanity is now broken to Ish and Isha, mm-hmm. and to male and female. And then upon waking and seeing each other, they are reformed together into one humanity of male and female, Ish and Isha, it's the whole language of bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Those are like wedding vows. Those are like things that, you know, a, a husband and a wife say to each other on the night of, of, of their, their wedding. Mm, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like that's, it's very to, intimate language I'll going try, on. I'll have to try that one sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but it's that breath of life, right? If they live by the breath and the word of God, well, what happens when you dr- reject 
that word of life and that breath of life? Death. And that's what they do. That's what the enemy comes in and does. He causes them to question the life-giving breath, the thing that came into their dusty lungs and brought about life. It's a lie. And that's why they experience death. I think one question that's rolling around in my head and, uh, you know, the, the staff's been going through Ephesians for the last couple weeks and great microcosm of Paul's writings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the questions we don't dwell on enough individually and as a body is why. Um, you know, Jesus, I, I think of Jesus on the cross. What did he ask his father? Why? Um, and I think sometimes we don't dwell enough. We're talking about image bearing and how we were created, but why mm-hmm. did God create us as image bearers? And I think it was out of love. Yes. I know it was out of love. Yeah. You know, the most succinct definition that I know of scripture that describes God is God is love. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we as image bearers carry that divine spark, if you will, Mm -hmm. of love within us, whether we recognize it or not. Um, Honestly, this might be a controversial statement, but whether we're followers of Jesus or not, we are all image bearers. I think that's the big question that you know, of of what we're talking about today or a big question. And I just, I think, you know, God loved, first verse most of us learn as followers of Jesus is what, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And I think he created us as image bearers um, and all the stuff we're supposed to be doing and living out, we have to become uh, reciprocants, if that's the right word, of, of God's love so that we can pass that on. Yeah. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think of the breakfast that Jesus cooked yeah. the disciples after his resurrection. And he asked Peter three times, he gave him charges, go tend my, sh- my, my sheep, go tend my flock, take care of my, my flock. He said, do you love me? And I think that that love is not in and of us, it's from us being created as image bearers. Yes. And that love is what we are to um, give yes. out. So I, I, completely, I, I don't know if that fits with exactly what I, we were talking I, about, but I think it's I, I, I think that's the question and the answer to what we are about. I think it's the it's the exclamation point. I think it's the sentence. It's all the words and the exclamation point at the end. Um, I know one of the things I do in, in my classes when I teach this whole concept of creation and being image bearers and all that sort of thing is I always I get to that question. So why did God do all this? Mm-hmm. Like we just talked through the function. We just talked through all the, the who's and the what's and the how's. But we haven't gotten through the why's. 
when you get asked, when you ask the question on the whys, you can, <coughs> you've already kind of given the answer, but if you're listening, kind of didn't mean to cut the conversation <laughs> short here, but yeah, rewind a little That's bit it. in your heads. Yeah. Often when we ask the question of why, we'll say we'll say something along the lines of, well, in order so that why did God create us, especially in us as image bearers or, yeah. or anything, and we'll say, well, so that we can glorify God. And we'll respond like it's a good. That's a good answer. But the thing is, mm. if that's the answer, then that means that God is dependent upon us for glory. That there's something yeah. about who God is mm. that's missing, mm. and He needs us as humans to fill it. Yep. So that's not the answer. God mm. did not create us uh, in order mm. to somehow receive more glory, as if He didn't have enough before. Or we'll say, well, it's so that He can receive more love. And it's like, well, that also, you've been bringing up the Trinity as well, which mm. has been beautiful, because that would say that there's something intrinsic amongst the Father, Son, and Spirit and their love for one another that's not full and complete as it is. Mm. So the answer isn't so that somehow God gets more glory or that somehow God gets more love as if he is in need right. of either of those things. It's not so much as much as it's to get, but it is to give. Mm. And it's exactly what you're saying is so that mm -hmm. we can experience that yep. love in community with one another, yep. with the Trinity. Yep. And that and that we would take that Trinitarian love wherever we were to go. That's right. And so and that's the, that's the sad part about the fall. The sad part about the fall is that the enemy has blinded humanity and, and, and has blinded humanity to the truth and the reality that they are loved by God, mm -hmm. that they share mm -hmm. in the glory of God. And that's what, that's, that's the tragedy of the fall. And I think you're absolutely right. I don't, it might be controversial to some, but I think that church history would prove that, 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 that it's been consistent teaching that every human is an image bearer. Mm -hmm. They might be marred. It might be twisted. But there is something that is that is redeemable that God is after. Well, I think Jason too. Um, just real quick thought on what you just said: the fall did mar it, but it's not like God didn't ordain or or plan the fall, which is probably a whole other discussion. Yes. <laughs> of, of yeah, but it, I, I'm I'm firmly convinced he didn't for he that he foresaw it. And so this was in his plan from eternity past. And you see that with the language that you see. Absolutely. That, that Christ was slain before a the foundation of the world. So even though he knew that we would choose something apart from him, he made a way so That's that we right. could experience him again. That's right. And I think he does gain greater glory by redeeming, I love that word, redeeming people that, Satan is blinded um, through the fall and bringing them back to the truth that we are all image bearers. Yeah. Um, some recognize it, some don't. But I think that's where the spirit is continually yeah. working. I, I've been back and forth with people over my lifetime on well, are we predestined or is it free will? Honestly, guys, they're both in Scripture. I think that Satan can use that as a distraction. Our job is to go out and be image bearers and draw other people 
to that knowledge yeah. and, and or at least be, you know, serve them in a way that Jesus can draw them into that knowledge is probably a better way to say that. Yeah. But that's, um, that, can, that's all part of God's plan. We can plan. get so caught up in the finer points yeah, yeah. of our theology yeah. that we forget we for, yes. how to actually live out our theology. One of the best ways I ever saw this, if I can share a story. Mm. Um, so when I lived up in Chicago for school, I was part of a house church community up there. And my dear friend Angela was kind of like our, our Angela and Graham mm. helped lead this house church. And um, Angela was um, like, a, like a, a mother to me, a sister, um, all of those things. And we did this thing and, you know, it was before I was ever part of Apex, so I don't have to ask for forgiveness for it. You're the ones that hired me. <laughs> but we went to this place, a club, on a regular basis down on Milwaukee Avenue. And on a Friday night, after a week of working hard, what do you do? You play hard. <laughs> and so you, we went out and our house church would go to these things intentionally of kind of being a different kind of humanity in that place. Because mm, like, what's cool. everyone doing? You're there, you're getting drunk, you're hooking up, you're getting drunk and hooking up with people you don't know. Mm. And I remember we had always, the one, the one I, I remember was we somehow got lucky enough to have like this kind of little cove in the back where all the seats were together. And we kind of stashed our, stashed our coats and our drinks there and whatever. And um, Angela saw this, this young um, man who was just very evident that he was just trying to go home with someone that night. And um, we were there dancing, just kind of having fun dancing, you know, and people would look at us weird because we're like, we're not dancing the same way everyone else is dancing, you know. And if you've ever been to a club like that on a Friday night or Saturday night, you know the type of dance that I'm talking about. And this one guy came up to Angela and tried to dance with him in a way that was kind of, you know, we might use the language inappropriate. It's appropriate for that context with what you're trying to do. And it was very, you know, overt. It was very sexual. It was very inappropriate for what, 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 what we might have been comfortable with. But she put her hand on his shoulder and just said, you're loved. You're loved more deeply than you know. And he broke down and began to cry mm. in the middle of this dance floor, mm. in the middle of the uns, 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 Did she have to yell that to get over the music? <laughs> no, it was actually really interesting because she actually, I, I remember sitting there and looking at her and she leaned up and whispered it in his ear. Mm. I, I couldn't hear him, her say what she sure. said to him. It wasn't until afterwards when she was telling the story. It was like, what did you just say to this guy that he stopped treating you so horribly? And that, that you ended with a hug. Like they hugged at the end. Mm. And they hugged at the end. He came over, talked for a little bit, and eventually just left. And I think that we exchanged phone numbers or whatever. But I think that mm. you're absolutely right. Like all of us are trying to figure out what it means to be image bearers and what it means to have and experience love in this fallen world. And it gets expressed in all of these, all these just broken and hurtful mm -hmm. and self-degradating ways. Yeah. And it was just a really beautiful experience because it was like, it was like, oh my gosh, I think we just brought kingdom to this dance floor. Mm -hmm. I think we just brought like temple to this dance floor, mm -hmm. you know? And she came over and she shared the story with us. And it was just, it was very, it was one of those things that was kind of cutting my teeth in ministry. Mm -hmm. And it was like one of those things of like, oh my gosh, like that's what a missional life is. Mm -hmm. A missional life is going to the people who are attempting to experience 
and rob one another of true love for their own sake and just giving them love freely in a way that is divine, in a way that is Christ-like. And so I think that's what, like, we shouldn't look at the world and be surprised that we're so manipulative and that we're so destructive. Mm -hmm. Because we're all just trying to figure out what does it mean to be loved? What does it mean to be an image bearer after the Mm -hmm. fall? And we've come up with a million, billion different ways to do it. I think one question I have then is, since we're we're talking about, we're doing this during the Christmas season and... Uh, it's probably close to New Year's now, <laughs> uh, but um, New Year's uh, comes right after Christmas. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So when this podcast comes out, it'll yeah. be soon. Uh, how does being an image bearer even relate to all of that? You know, Colossians one talks about Jesus being the image of God, um, and and so, but we also have read that image of God is you know a title for humanity as well. Um, so. In Jesus, it's being the image of God. What God is doing through Jesus is that he's binding himself to humanity uh, by coming to do the thing that we couldn't do for ourselves. And, um, you know, that's what Christmas is all about. You know, God coming to us uh, as a human, uh, as one of us, as an image of God. But he, unlike us, was able to reflect God uh, accurately and to... to, um, just kind of complete, you know, what humanity was always, you know, meant to to do and to reflect. And now he extends uh, the chance to do that um, to all of us uh, by, you know, sending his spirit to live within us so that we can once again reflect what God is like. And so this image of God topic, subject, idea is very helpful for me to kind of get over that old story that I used to believe that it's just about us praying a prayer so we can get up out of earth, <laughs> you know, but... But rather, it, it it helps frame, like Jason was talking about, the why. It helps frame why we were created and what God is doing. It's, you know, really, um, it's the work of Jesus is restoring the, the image of God in us. When I think even what we call the Lord's Prayer, mm. which I would call the Disciples' Prayer, built on that, Chad, um, you know, bringing about the kingdom of God to earth. The earth as in heaven. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think it took Jesus coming down because things were so fractured and, and still are. But at least we now have, Hebrews tells us this all over the place and, and Colossians 1, as you just mentioned. Um, he, he Keep your eyes on him. We could probably have wrapped this podcast up in five seconds. Oh, but what fun is that? But <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But 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 that that is the message is is Jesus and keep your eyes on him and look and see and feel and touch and taste mm. him because uh, he's the only one that ever did it perfectly. He was the only true image of God on earth after the fall. And he was, he is the second Adam. Yeah. You know, we got, we got, we got the first Adam to start with yep. and That's that failed. Right. And there's a lot of failures since and, you know, over the last however many years. But that, that's where, um, you know, we, we, Paul said, I preach Christ and him crucified. Yeah. That, that, 
the reason he preached him was because, was because Jesus Christ was the perfect example of God in the flesh and a perfect example of us as image bearers yeah. hmm. of God. Hmm. The way I've, I've shared it yeah. with, I remember a few years back, probably five, seven years ago, there was this huge emphasis on like biblical masculinity and femininity that was running around in popular Christian culture. And it was like, okay, biblical men do this, 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 and this. Mm. Biblical women do this, this, and this. I would get frustrated at it because it was like, it was all about stuff that you do. It was behavior modification. And I was like, man, if you want to be a man of God or a woman of God, dwell on Jesus. Absolutely. And he will make you into who Philip is, who Chad is, who Chris is, who the person listening to this podcast is right now. Like dwell on Christ and he will make you everything that he ever intended for you to be. And there's example there, but then there's also new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, behold, you know, they, new creation. I think as we enter into the new year, we can do the same failure. We can do the same thing. It's like, let me make these resolutions to better myself of all these things I'm going to do and change in my behavior. And maybe you even got a head start and you are hitting the gym three weeks beforehand. So at least you can have a level of judgment for those who are coming in on January 1st because <laughs> you're a little bit better because you were there on you know, December. This isn't a New Year's for me. I was doing this. Yeah, <laughs> I've already been doing this in 2018. <laughs> um, you know... I think our resolution is always referring back to what Christ has already resolved in us, that we mm. already are full and complete in Christ, and that's our starting point. Yeah. And so anyone who's listening to this, like, if you struggle with identity, if you struggle with insecurity, if you struggle with abuse that you've experienced and saying you are not worth it, you have a Father in heaven and a Spirit who indwells you by Christ that says, yes, you are. You want to sh me to show you how much you're worth it? Here is the cross. Because mm. you are my image bearer. And no one else's. And I will redeem you. We hope you enjoyed this little Christmas series. Please let us know if you did by emailing podcast at apexcommunity.org. After doing 20 podcasts, we're going to take a small break so we can regroup and come up with new show ideas. Do you have an idea for an episode? You can email us that as well. Thanks for listening to us talk about Jesus. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you really enjoy an episode, share it with a friend. Apex's mission is to make and multiply disciples with the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the spirit. We envision God using every Apexer to join his disciple making movement in reaching the greater Dayton area and unreached people groups around the world. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to apexcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening.